Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. This is Jessie, your EP speaking, and you are tuned in to Asian Pop Nation right here on Sin. Apart from me, you will also be hearing from Leisha, Lee, Tracy, JP, Zenya, and Taruki in our show today. Before we jump right into some of the exciting things we'll be talking about, I will be running down the two B-side tracks you just heard, starting off with Dune by 80s, which is a B-side from their new album The World Ep 2 Outlaw. Before that, you guys heard Damien by Dreamcatcher, which is also a B-side from their last mini-album Apocalypse from Us. Our show tonight is surprisingly anime-slash-animation-centric, which I'm sure will be good news to our anime fan listeners out there. Um, we will be discussing our thoughts about the upcoming Studio Ghibli film by Hayao Miyazaki, which, if you do not know, is very, very famous director in Studio Ghibli. Um, and the interesting thing about this film is they have chosen not to release any promotional or content ahead of its anticipated release. And um, so that means no trailers, nothing, just one singular poster. So... Um, as we head into the review portion of the show, me and Taruki will be sharing some of our thoughts about Oz Comic Con in Melbourne, which we got the opportunity to attend last week with Media Passes. Leisha and Lee will also be giving a spoiler-free review about the Elementals movie that recently came out. And finally, in honour of Pride Month, we will be ending the show with a two-parter, running down some of our favourite queer people in music, film and many more, as well as some future queer projects to support. Welcome back to Asian Pop Nation right here on Sin. You are, of course, hearing from your EP, Jesse. You guys also just heard a few tracks, starting off with Mania and Bliss by Deb Never, which is from their EP, Thank You for Attending. And fun fact, this artist is actually queer, so cough, cough. Um, but also, before that, you guys heard Yellow Circle by Chai Subin and Joe Yuri. And you also heard A Bugs Are Us by Brian Mantra. Now, coming up, we have... I wouldn't say a lot of people know about this, but um, in the world of Studio Ghibli and Studio Ghibli fans, they will certainly have heard about this because this person's name is pretty synonymous with a lot of very famous Studio Ghibli films. And that is Hayao Miyazaki. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But um, he has come in and out of retirement quite a few times, being like, oh, this is going to be my last film. But this film that's coming up might actually be his last film. And the funny thing about this film is we have no promotional content to go off of. So no one knows what this story is about. No one knows who the characters are, the voice actors, nothing. So, yeah. (laughs) Um... We know nothing about this film, and some of our hosts slash members here at APN are Studio Ghibli fans or have watched Studio Ghibli, and some are like me, in which they have not really watched any Studio Ghibli films. So we will be sharing some of our thoughts about this upcoming movie and whether this tactic will work. So Studio Ghibli is releasing a new traditionally animated, as in like full-on hand-drawn on paper with pencil movie. It'll be called How Do You Live and directed by Hayao Miyazaki, yours truly. And it's going to be out in Japanese cinemas on July 14th. So um, did you guys see like the trailer? Like, what do you think of it? Is that a trick question? Yeah, yeah. Because I I tried to search it up, but nothing's coming up, bro. What? (laughs) What does it mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. The reason you can't find a trailer is because there literally is not one. 
there's no trailers there's no promotional material whatsoever no trailers no nothing we have no idea what the story is we don't know who the characters are or the voice cast the only thing we know is that it's apparently a fantasy on a grand scale and that we only have one poster and it's of a weird bird looking thing guy yeah yeah cool. this wow this bird looking thing guy it doesn't tell you much at all it's like uh-huh. a bird but its eyes are like fake eyes and its real eyes are like under its beak i don't know how to describe it or maybe those are the fake eyes and the real ones on top you don't know you don't know hmm, that's true yeah but yeah that's literally all we have i think beyond that the only other thing we know about this movie is that it's apparently inspired by a 1937 novel which goes by the same name, How Do You Live? And it was written by Yoshino Genzaburo. However, the plot synopsis of the book, it's not much of a grand fantasy. I think it's more like, you know, down to earth, you know, just real life, normal stuff. So even then, we have no idea what to expect for this. We actually have some info, though, on why they chose to do their advertising campaign like this. Some guys, they did an interview with the Ghibli producer, Toshio Suzuki. And he said that basically the main reason they did not release anything was because they were concerned with the whole practice of releasing so many trailers and so many materials at once that by the time the movie comes out, people don't even want to watch it anymore. Like they've just spoiled themselves. They've looked at all the trailers. They've analyzed it, you know, top to bottom, left to right, toes to feet to hands to, (laughs) I don't know. But yeah. That was basically um, the main rationale, and I think it's quite interesting. I'm not sure what you guys think. Is this a good move? Is this a bad move? Lee, you're a marketing major. Hello. Hello. Um, Go off Miss Marketing. I think it definitely, yeah, I think it's like a good marketing strategy because people uh-huh. already know Hayao Mizaki and this is going to be his last film and no one knows what it's about, so it's going to bring people to the theaters to uh-huh. I barely know the guy, but you said this was his last movie. Didn't this guy say like several movies were gonna be his last film? Yeah. yeah. What's his deal? I'm so confused. I think so. He's like going into retirement, and then I think like one of them. He just was, doesn't die. Sorry. He literally is like his son, I think, released a film sort of like to take over his. Okay. Um, <laughs> It was called Tales of Earthsea, I think. Oh. I think it's that one. People really didn't like it. Hayao Miyazaki really hated it. And he was like, all right, I'll come out of retirement to like show everyone how it's done. And he did that like two more times and then went back into retirement. And I think he's coming out of retirement to do this one or has come out of retirement to do this one for his grandson as sort of like a last movie before. (laughs) I think. Whoa! I might be wrong. Graphic! (laughs) So yeah, it's sort of like his actual last one. Allegedly. Okay. He is 82. Oh, oh my god. How many more times is this guy gonna come out of retirement? Because he's like... I I don't think he's going to after this Yeah, I don't think he has it in him. He's done it before though. Well, that was when he was like, younger. Younger. Okay, after this additional lore drop, I mean, do y'all Studio Ghibli people feel like this is the last, last one? I would bet like $500 that even if he dies, he will rematerialize, I think. He'll rematerialize, insult his son, and then make another (laughs) movie. 
he will raise his grandson to be the next head of the <laughs> oh, that is messed up. <laughs> but realistically he'll probably have like some kind of thing he was working on and then the studio decides to make whatever he had left i feel like that yeah would be what mm-hmm. happened. yeah it doesn't seem like the guy to stop i think it's gonna be like the michael jackson situation where he's gonna have like a whole bunch of stuff in the vault and people are gonna take the pieces out from the vault and like reassemble them into a movie and be like oh his actual last work I think that's going to happen. I just wanted to ask again to the folks here who are the Studio Ghibli watchers, knowing that, oh, he has like a film that's coming out, but oh, there's like no nothing about it. Does that like intrigue any of y'all to still go to watch this? Like has the marketing worked for y'all who are the Studio Ghibli audience? Yeah, it has. It has. Oh, wait, why? Just tack his his name on anything and it's going to be an interesting watch. It's basically the Beyonce move, right? Like when Beyonce dropped that 2012 album with no promo, people were like, that's crazy. You can't do that. But because she was Beyonce, she was able to do it. And since then, a lot of artists have followed in her footsteps and just randomly dropped an album out of nowhere. So this is basically the film equivalent. If it can work with music, I don't see why it can't work with film. Also, people love talking about movies they see. And if they hear other people talking about it, then the only way they can have an opinion on it is to watch the actual movie. Anyone who wants to have an opinion has to watch this movie, at least in the first week. True! Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's so much more mysterious as well with, like, word of mouth. It's like, you you don't see anything else where people are like, oh, it's so good. And you're like, what? No way. I'm just spitballing here. But I don't know, for me as someone who's not in the space of, like, I did not grow up with the Ghibli films, from my end, I feel like, this doesn't intrigue me to want to watch it. I don't know. Like, I get the mystery part of it because I have no attachment to this man's work. I want to second uh, Leisha's opinion on that because I have not yes. watched any Ghibli films. Um, and Jesse's just... the anime girl, so... <laughs> it's, like, been on my to-watch list since forever and I've just never touched it, but regardless... Same as Leisha, I, it intrigues me, but I wouldn't be, when like the movie comes out, I wouldn't be like, oh yeah, I must watch this immediately. The downside to this strategy, I guess, is like people who aren't really into Ghibli or like people who don't know this guy, they won't be as interested in it, so yeah. I guess, yeah, but to be fair, he is like a very big name. I guess, I guess like Tracy's example of mentioning like Beyonce and stuff like that, I guess like in anime film world, like even if you devil into it a tiny bit his name is like boom it's like right in front of your eyes so i guess they're going on like that mark and stuff and also when it comes to animation as well okay i know ghibli's very like they have a specific style and it's amazing but i'm a big visual person especially in animation department if the art style is not what i like even if the plot is good it's quite hard for me to actually watch it (laughs) so you don't like the ghibli art style no i didn't say i didn't like the ghibli art style i mean didn't they try to like experiment out of their usual style once before i don't know Wig and the witch oh that one well that wasn't hayao miyazaki so don't worry about that was that. his son oh <laughs> okay see i don't know the family drama yeah, like hayao miyazaki hates cgi <laughs> he's very anti-cgi um and most importantly he hates his son <laughs> you know no. movies are more interesting because of the character he is behind them because he's like what makes all of these really in you know these movies that explore childhood innocence but he's like a cynical smoking man who just yeah, like yeah. thinks anime he's the, he's the polar opposite of junji ito he makes the most horrific like otherworldly <laughs> things imaginable and then you see him on live tv doing like you know the neon neon going 
Oh my god. Yeah. These Japanese men are a enigma to me. <laughs> well, we let's end it here. You heard it here first, folks. The Japanese men confound the shot to no end. But if Japanese <laughs> women confound you as especially Hayao Miyazaki, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Asian Pop Nation. And also tell us if you're insulted for this movie or not. I know I am. It's always nice to hear what you guys are thinking. Yo, 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 this is Asian Pop Nation. Uh, of course, this is your EP. What's new? You hear my voice all the time. Um, but yeah, you guys just heard all the deets about the new Studio Ghibli movie. And I guess the general consensus is if you guys are already pre-existing fans of Studio Ghibli, I'm pretty sure most people will go watch it regardless. But if you're not already fans, it might not mean or be much of a motivator to you. But regardless, if... You guys fall into any of these two categories and you would or would not be going to see the movie when it comes out. Please let us know on Asian Pop Nation across Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And before we jump into our next little segment about Oz Comic Con, which definitely stay tuned if you guys are interested. Hello, hello, dear listeners. You are tuned in to Asian Pop Nation right here on Sin. You guys just heard Still Friend featuring PH1 by Kid Millie, which is from their album Beige. And before that, you guys heard Where Are My Asians At by Reshma. And even more before that, you guys heard Shalala by Taeyeon from NCT. Now, the next little segment is something I am very excited to talk about. It is, of course, Oz Comic Con. Now, to all of our Asian... No, to all of our anime fans out there, um... Oz Comic Con is one of the bigger conventions around Melbourne and more specifically Australia and they generally have a very wide range of famous guests and panels and a lot of amazing artists and all sorts of events and meetups. So it is all around a very exciting event and one that we got the opportunity to attend with Media Passes last week, which is also very exciting. And so me and Thuruki will be talking a bit more about our experiences there and what we enjoyed and what we found there. Hatsune Miku may not be real, but she can be if you go to a place called the Oz Comic Con, also known as the Oz Comic Convention, a convention for comics. There's all sorts of nerd stuff in there, you know, you got cosplayers everywhere, you can buy art, you know, it's a good time. Reason I bring this up though is not because of the evil Hatsune Miku looming behind me. It's because Jesse, Leisha, and Taruki actually went to Oz Comic Con recently. Jesse, um, who okay, tell me what actually who actually came to Oz Comic Con? Because I know they always have big guests there, like actors and artists and, and stuff. Who's there? Um, so for this year's Oz Comic Con, they have, let's say, three broad categories of guests. They have film and TV guests, they have cosplayers, and they have comic and author guests. Now, some of the film and TV guests that already attended Oz Comic Con was Abby Trot, who you may know for doing the English dub of Nezuko from Demon Slayer. And they also had Aaron Dismook. He worked on um, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Ooh. Yeah, and then what we also thing? have John Noble, who was the Denethor slash King character in Lord of the Rings. 
Yo, mm. what? John Noble, the noble man himself? Amazing. Oh Actually, his God. character wasn't all that noble in Lord of the Rings, though. But yeah, oh, that's sick. That's sick. That's actually really big. Yeah, and they also invited some local cosplayers around, some of which includes the gem cosplay and Aldemone, who did a panel about how to turn cosplay from a hobby into making it into a career. One of the other cosplayers that attended was MJ Cosplay, who did a panel about 50 tips in 50 minutes about cosplay life hacks. Uh, we also had some comic slash author guests, one of which we were very excited to hear about us at APN when um, we saw, but her name is Alice Zhao and she is a Taiwanese-Australian illustrator, animator, and webcomic artist, and she recently worked on the Spider-Verse movie, so... Whoa, what? Yeah, she was like in one of the, in the credits and she worked on, I'm assuming, some of like the animation and the art related to that, so... What? I was so I was so excited, but then I was too scared to talk to her. So wow, that sounds pretty sick. This this sounded like um man, Oz Comic Con is always big. Like every year, they always have great guests. So I'm happy to hear that they had key yeah, guests. Yeah, and some of the they also had a photography zone in like the cosplay central area. Now cosplay oh. is basically an area where the cosplayers they had their own little stalls, and you could meet them and buy prints and all that kind of stuff. And they also had two walls, two photography walls where cosplayers or people who wanted to get their photos taken they could go line up and they could get their photos professionally taken by a photographer in that area mm. i should also mention i'm just going to jump in here and say that this is saruki's first convention what? yeah it was saruki's first convention so uh saruki what what are your thoughts as a first time convention goer um i think I actually enjoyed it, which was surprising because I was a bit skeptical of like how, like, I don't know why I was skeptical. I didn't expect like such a big turn of a crowd, like that many people. I thought it would be like a few hundred, didn't expect like thousands of people to show up. I don't know exactly how many people came, but um, it was interesting to see how creative people got with their costumes. I mean, probably the replica of characters like costumes but which I've seen like diff the same character but different shades of the costume which was interesting to see and I learned that like it could be different parts of the anime mango like I don't know from um like the film or like whatever they imitated i don't know how to explain exactly but i can't find the words like they've replicated the character's costume on like different times of like the scenes of how the character showed up i guess is the best way to explain it and um i did get overstimulated at one point but that's you kind of expect that out of a convention but overall I actually enjoyed it because I think I've since I've never been to a convention before and this was like my first time so I surprisingly enjoyed it and I know what to dress up as for the next convention and Jesse and I discussed about it <laughs> for next year's Comic-Con and hopefully I can find the props 
Who is it? Who is it? I was gonna dress up as Ben 10. Oh my god. Like, what? Ethan. (laughs) Dude, that's the. Oh my god, the nostalgia that rushed through my body just now. Damn, that's sick. My god. You're gonna have the. the, What is it called? The Omnitrix? Just get like a. $10 $10 digital watch. It's so cool. Yeah. I we... used to have one as a kid. Toilet. Yeah, everyone oh. used to have one. I did not have one. What the heck? Man, you're loser. Oh my god. Um, I should also mention that on both of these days I did cosplay. So on the first day I cosplayed as Wei Wuxian from the Grandmaster of Demonic Cultivation, and on Sunday I cosplayed as Kazuha. And um yeah, let's just say that Sunday was a very good representation of what the, I guess, the benefits of cosplay in a sense. Because on Sun, whenever you cosplay, most pe- a lot of people will approach you for photos most times. And so, like, normally in conventions, if you go in, like, normal clothes, people can't tell what fandoms you are a part of. So they won't approach you randomly. People get weirded out by that. So, uh... <laughs> But when you're in cosplay, they have a reason to approach you to ask for photos or things like that. So basically what happened on Sunday was that I was cosplaying as Kazuha and then I went with a friend and she was cosplaying as Hwachan from the Heaven Officials Blessing. And so what happened was a lot, some very enthusiastic cos, other cosplayers approached us and then we formed a spontaneous group right there at the convention. We met on that day. We didn't know each other's names, but we were vibing and it was great. So that is how Sunday went down. And um, and in general, there wasn't too much of a difference between the two days, except for like the different guests and the panels and the seminars available. Um, other than that, it was pretty much the same in terms of the artist alley and the stores, because obviously I don't think they can change it at such short notice. But yeah, in general, that aspect of the convention was the same. That sounds like you had a good time, and we're definitely going to be looking forward to your cosplays next year. That Ben 10 cosplay, especially. If you like Oz's and comics and cons and are awaiting the next one, or if you even if you got your own experiences about cons, like cool cosplay stories, art stories, buying useless things stories, let us know. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Asian Pop Nation. We are back here at Asian Pop Nation on Sin. And of course, as an Asian culture and music show, we appreciate all things Asian and pop culture. And so Oz Comic Con this year was honestly quite the amazing experience and definitely something that you cannot miss out on if you guys are a fan of anime, pop culture, art, um, cosplay. There's honestly so much to see and do. So... This is Asian Pop Nation right here on Sin, where you guys just heard three Japanese songs back to back that really is very fitting for our previous segment about Oz Comic Con. But you guys, of course, just heard Yonaki by Bremen, and it, before that, you guys heard FDF by Sero, and even more before that, you guys heard the Vocaloid song Poznegam Mistakers by Sasukure UK. Now, coming up, we have another animation movie this time um that's not 
anything to do with Japanese anime or anything of the sort. But it is regardless a movie that we have been looking forward to and we have talked about in the past when the trailer was out and all that. Um, and I am, of course, talking about Elementals. Now, in our last segment, which you guys should definitely go and listen to on our podcast if you guys have not already, but in our last segment about Elementals, we were looking at the trailer and also that the director explicitly said that this movie is very much a representation of um, his experiences and his feelings uh, growing up kind of Asian and the Asian culture surrounding that and that is why we are talking about it today because Leisha and Lee went to see it and of course they have some thoughts. Alright so today I was at Southern Cross Station as I often am and I noticed that um, they'd switched over all the banners along the Burke Street end of the platforms over to a movie called Elemental, um, which seems to be from Pixar. So far, all I've learned about this movie from the ads that they were running is basically that there were four characters and they represent four different elements. There is um, a water character, very cleverly named Wade. There is a wind character, very cleverly named Gale. There is a fire character called Ember, because there are no good name puns for fire elements. And there is also a, a dirt or ground character called Clod. And they looked kind of cute but uh, you know that's all i know about the movie um but apparently this is a real movie that really exists and is in theaters right now and apparently two real people leisha and lee went to see it this past week hi Hi. yes we did see can you tell Uh, me anything else about this movie apart from these four characters i mean okay firstly i guess i'll do some debunking in terms of what tracy you said because this is a tidbit that me and lee will get into later as we talk about our thoughts about the movie but let's just say what you've seen is not exactly what you're getting in the movie Essentially, the movie, you yes, it exists in this like very fictional world called Element City, very reminiscent of like Zootopia. And if any of you guys seen that movie, but the actual story follows Amber, which was the fire element character you mentioned. It primarily follows her as she's like kind of prepping um, her entire life basically to take over her father's shop or more like overall her family business. And then things kind of go a bit upside down shenanigans when she meets Wade, which is the water element guy. And essentially all you're supposed to know is that he is kind of the character that quote unquote challenges her beliefs about the world that they live in. And yeah, that's kind of the whole thing. You actually don't focus too much on the other two element characters that you mentioned, Tracy. They're kind of like background characters. So you're saying it's like inequitable in terms of like element, attention, screen time distribution? Ooh, she's bringing in K-pop terms <laughs> into this movie. Yeah, no, so the, um, what is it, land and air get no screen time, no oh, line distribution. No. I also just realized when you said that Ember is meant to be like a pun on the name Amber and that it only works if you have like Leisha's accent. Oh, Amber. Amber. Um, Yeah, basically, I guess the main thing why we're especially able to talk about it on Asian Pop Nation, I think the themes especially fit in with us here, people who are of Asian descent and have gone through many traumatic experiences, hello, Um, is that the film is directed by Peter Sean and stars Leo Lewis uh, as Amber and uh, Mamodo Athi as Wade. And specifically, I think we talked about it in the past that the director specifically 
when he was making this film, wanted it to kind of be a metaphor of his own personal experience of A, dating someone outside of his own Korean culture, and B, pursuing a career that is like non-traditional of like Asian values and stuff like that. And I think Lee, as we watched the movie, both of us can confirm that these themes are very, ooh, they are in there in this movie. Very Mm -hmm. prominent. And this is why, I mean, you have to see this movie not so much as like, ooh, she's a Zootopia 2.0 or like, ooh, it's like you're learning about the world and the elements or whatever because it's really focused on just these two characters, Wade and Amber. And Lee, what do you got to say about Amber specifically? Um, I think a lot of children of immigrants will relate to her quite a bit. When I was watching the movie, a lot of the things that her parents say to her or she says herself is like exactly the same as what my parents have said to me or like what I think of myself or what I think about my family. So I was just like, oh my God, like me being represented (laughs) on the screen, that's insane. But what about you, Lucia? What do you think of Wade as a character? Oh, the, okay. So Wade, he's like a very lovable loser character is how I would sum it up. Um, If you couldn't get from the get-go this movie, not only is dealing with Amber's whole like personal journey, um, basically of being an immigrant child, um, but it's also telling a love story. Oh my God, this is where Xenia's going to get hyped behind the scenes. Basically, a lot of the movie, and I feel like this is where the promotion kind of like, promotion for this movie kind of fails in, is that it doesn't explicitly tell you that it's a romance story between Amber and Wade. Wade is so much more of like a, I guess he's a very like softy character, you would say, Lee. Yeah, he definitely doesn't hide his emotions. Yes, that's the (laughs) best way to put it. He's a true embodiment of the element water, if you get what we mean. Like, the guy cries a lot. And Amber, fire character, she can't control her temper. Girl boss. She is also a girl boss. I've never seen a girl boss girl boss so much in a Pixar movie. Like, whoa. She is insane. She does the legwork. But them together um, as like a couple and all that stuff. I guess, Lee, how do you find their relationship as like a couple? Because I think people mentioned this is like Pixar's quote-unquote first movie where they're really going into the romance specifically. But how do you find their relationship overall? I like it. Uh, like, I don't know, during the movie when Wade was, I guess, confessing, I was like, oh my god, I would never find someone like Wade. He's just, he's like a loser, but he's like lovingly a loser. Like, I love him so much. I, I agree that I do like end up by the end of the movie really loving their relationship and all that stuff. I think personally, because... I mentioned it other in other times in APM when we're talking about romance that I do love a bit of a slow burn. So people not really like, it takes them like a long time to get to the whole, I like you and whatever. And this one moves a little bit fast, but I do acknowledge this is like a kid's movie at the end of the day. Um, let's not get the children exposed to slow burn tropes just yet. But um, I would say for the most part, yeah, their love story is very, very precious. I, I do love them to bits as well. Like, Lee, Lee and I cried in this movie. Multiple times. Multiple times from, like, various things happening to Amber on her own, various things happening to her family, and various things happening to the couple itself. So there are several instances of this happening. 
but I guess Lee overall overall how do you how do you find this movie like what what are your general thoughts I guess going in with no expectations made the viewing experience even better maybe but in terms like, of like the movie itself oh yeah. the movie is so good <laughs> You would recommend for yeah, I would recommend <laughs> if you are an Asian kid or a kid of an immigrant parents definitely go watch it you you would definitely bowl your eyes out multiple times like me and Lisha did what about you Lisha uh I would say I I agree as well I would say if you're somebody who like comes from the background that Lee mentioned again like immigrant household specifically you're like an Asian Asian kid growing up as well a lot of it is very ooh like somebody put a camera in my household because why is this word for word <laughs> what happens in my family um but yeah I think this director because I know this director has done the good dinosaur before and I do not like that movie um so I would say this is such a big step up from that film and I think I'm really happy that he's able to showcase this film specifically uh I feel like there's definitely a lot of heart into the themes and everything that he wanted to show again about like family and choosing like your own path kind of um racism as well wow um that's a whole thing <laughs> that's the whole thing in the show but like boiled down to like elements being racially insensitive to each other um but it's crazy how he's able to tackle all these themes through like a couple of like four elements basically to me that's kind of nuts so i'm very impressed on that mark another thing which is not a spoiler but at the end of the movie he does give credit to like his parents and stuff for the film and i was like oh it's just very sweet and i think just it was like the perfect like cherry on top to be like yeah the story was definitely written and done by someone who has lived through these like experiences and stuff and you can really like i don't know there's a lot of heart to it and i personally really enjoyed it as well give it like a good uh 7.5 out of 10 as well because i'm a slow burn fan <laughs> but, but i think there's some really good stuff there and i would say lee and i would highly recommend to check it out it's like in cinemas now now mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so go watch it and let us know your thoughts i guess on asian pop nation on our facebook twitter and instagram go to the movies <laughs> This is Asian Pop Nation on Sin, where you guys just heard Leisha and Lee's spoiler-free review about the Elementals movie, which came out last week. Um, yeah, it seems like a very interesting movie, and it is now on my to-watch list. So if you guys have watched it or are planning to watch it, um, yeah, please let us know on Asian Pop Nation across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would love to hear your thoughts and also have a bit of discussion around the movie itself because I believe this movie is also Pixar's first kind of delve into, like, romance in a movie. So that will certainly be interesting to see. And before we jump into our Pride-centric section of the show with a two-parter, um about all the queer artists, film people, and other people in the sphere. This is Asian Pop Nation right here on Sin, where you guys just heard a couple of great tracks, starting off with Glossy Lips by Danim, which is from their album Psst. And before that, you guys heard Born by Tempa Lay, which is a very fun band, very offbeat genre music kind of style. And before that, you guys heard Monday by Leah Doe featuring Lion Man, which is from their her album Chun Yo. 
Now it is Pride, people. Woo! This is the time where we celebrate all the queer people, all the people in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, yeah. Uh, and us here at Asian Pop Nation would like to contribute to this month of celebration and commemoration by uh recognizing and listing out some of our favorite Asian queer people in music, in films, future queer projects that. You should definitely go support if you're interested. And this will be a two-parter, so we will have one part, play a few songs in between, and then we'll have a second part. So, as I'm sure you all are aware, this month is June. If you look at your calendar, mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm. And for some some people, June means a lot of things. But here in APN, I've declared it. It's done. It's Pride Month specifically, y'all. We have a lot of things to be celebrating this month. Uh, we're an Asian pop culture show and there are surprisingly there are actually a lot of Asians who are like LGBTQ. I, I don't know if you've heard of this new thing, but it's possible to be both Asian and LGBTQ at the same time. But anyway, um, a lot of Whoa. these people happen to go to the arts and so it just happens that a lot of our favorite artists are, you know, queers. Uh, and we just decided to, it'd be a good idea to highlight some of them for you today because we always love talking about people who we love. Exactly. And especially, especially in like the, I again, like what you mentioned, Tracy, earlier, um, big shocker. Wow. Asian people can be part of the queer community. What a surprise. And I don't know, especially for a lot of us, this might be like relatable and stuff like that growing up. A, Asian representation is like non-existent, but also especially Asian queer representation, even more non-existent at, at all. So it's great that like, again, now in our current age, 2023, there's just so much more rep around. Still a big long way to go. Trust, it's not all sunshines and rainbows. And I think every, especially queer person during Pride Month knows that there's definitely still a long way to go. Pride is not all sunshine and rainbows, even though... Capitalism likes to <laughs> just be like, yes, rainbows, slay, queen. <laughs> but we just thought here at APN, it would be nice to just highlight some of our favorite queer artists, uh, queer Asian media in general. And yeah, I guess, Tracy, you can begin with the music where this is in your wheelhouse specifically. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, first of all, we're going to mention Rina Sawayama. Yes, the mother. Rina Yes. We all went to see her and in Melbourne, and I'm pretty sure that crowd was like 80%, 90% queer. She has a niche and she works it very well. And she also writes songs that are specifically about the queer experience, like Send My Love to John, like Cherry. She's extremely, um, I think she's bisexual, I believe. Or and Pan from my... She's pansexual. I think so. And she is very mother and just great artist. We love her. Another person who is also British, Asian, and also LGBTQ <laughs> is our favorite unpronounceable artist, Spee Badubi, who is Filipino, British, bisexual, and Asian. And she is also another one of our favorite artists. How would you describe her? She's made a lot of like quiet, sentimental songs that are popular on TikTok recently. Yeah, she does. She's very, um, there's a sort of, there's a softness to her voice, but at the same time, there's a sort of like very 90s rockish feel. Like some people compare it yes. to like, I'm not sure if that's right, um, but it is very like nostalgic. Like you see her yes. playing her music videos, she's using a Telecaster, like damn, that's classic. That's hot. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, she is under Dirty Hit, which I think is the same label as Rena and a whole bunch of like other rock bands. So that they are like one of those classic British rock sort of labels, um, which is very cool because that space has historically been very straight white male. So it's nice to see like people who are the complete opposite of that, aka gay Asian women, on that sort of label. Um, next, we have some artists that Bisha wanted to highlight. Hi, hello. <laughs> These these are just female artists that I I've loved them for a very long time and will forever as long as they keep making music. I'm right right in front of their door. Um obviously there's one artist I think I mentioned quite a lot just scattered around throughout the past like what two years I've been in APN. It's Ravina. I think I just made a recent discovery that Lee also likes Ravina as well. And Tracy, like I find her music, it's like naturally more calming. She's bi as well. Yes, yes, true. Very R and B, very soul, very American, very smooth. Has a lot of that influence coming through. Yes, and she has a lot of songs that, like uh, Rina Sawayama, we mentioned before, quite a lot of songs that depict like sapphic love, specifically loving another woman. Yeah, stream honey. Uh, not only that, if you're somebody who really enjoys like quite meditative music almost it's just so soothing guys like her music oh my gosh i just feel like i'm floating in the air listening to her beautiful beautiful vocals with the instrumentals like oh my gosh i love her so much and then other ones that i want to mention mxm tune of course ah and the show <laughs> yes <laughs> big fan big fan love her since like oh my god probably since i was like a teen as well oh god i don't want to think of myself in that age but I I really like her as well. And then I think one that special place in Tracy's heart as well is Better Born, our own local Australian girly. <laughs> She's so good. Like, Vellaborn just gets pop music. She's just so good at writing it, so good at performing it. All of her songs are just, like, viscerally satisfying to me. They're just clean, that sort of clean song. And she has a song called Girls, which is very good, and I want to play on this show tonight. And then, hmm, as we're going down here, I'm guessing Tracy, this is... This is, I'm yes. not familiar with this artist specifically, so do enlighten the class. Yeah, as I was doing research for this segment, I realized that a lot of the artists that I really adore are actually queer and openly queer or like sort of ambiguously queer. Like they sort of hint at it like Yeji and Mitsuki are sort of in that area. But Eno Chang is a Taiwanese artist I really like and she actually divorced her husband in 2016 and then came out as queer subsequently, which is so good for her, like living her truth, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I really liked her album last year, Mercury Retrograde. It kind of um, has a similar feeling to Ravina's. Um, it doesn't have, like, obviously the South Asian influences and a very strong R&B influence, but it still has an R&B, R&B influence and it's very soothing. And I think it's a very nice, calming album to, like, sleep to um, or, like, to study to. Oh, and also another artist that I've really been quite enjoying, this is a more recent discovery, is a kid named Rufus, who is a non-binary artist who is Malaysian and is currently based in New York. And uh, they recently released a new EP called How Sweet Does this sound and we played the title track last week it's an incredibly it's a surprisingly sexual song for um, kind of early in the show but it's such a good song so i had to put it on the run sheet i guess speaking along the lines of special place in my heart malaysian queer artists i just wanted to give a small shout out alex tbh 
basically way back in like 2016 2017 time he was kind of promoted like everywhere and stuff like that as like the only at the time openly queer malaysian artist if you even know like a little bit about malaysian politics and i guess how society themes queer people in malaysia it's not so great not sunshine and rainbows he came out and created amazing tracks which i was doing a little bit of a throwback listening to it's basically like more in the pop realm but i was listening to his stuff like no space i was just like oh it just put me in such a throwback to like teenager lisha moment and uh i just i love what he's done for a little malaysian girly like me who needed some rep out there in the world <laughs> type of thing and then speaking on like rep realm um hayley kyoko and specifically some music videos that if you're part of the queer community they were like big big back in the day i'm pointing at girls like girls specifically 151 million views came out seven years ago this was like at one point the poster child of like queer music videos on youtube.com and also back in like 2015 one of like the rare like oh my god women loving women gay women story plot in music video and i'm like <gasps> shocked living for it but oh my gosh what a time like i don't know her old music videos the collab she did with kalani like those were such like cornerstones growing up and then i think for a lot of queer people as well so that's like crazy and then i think tracy also wanted to shout out mxm tune we have interviewed before <gasps> oh my gosh the plug yes kai dreams Yes. Kai Dreams is so lovely. Like if you're if you want to listen to an interview, go back and listen to like how Kai Dreams interview. It's like the nicest, friendliest, chillest interview I think we've ever done. But yeah, Kai is a non-binary half Vietnamese American artist. Their stuff is just really cute. Oh. I really liked the song Panic Attack off of their album Absolute Heartbreak. But that whole album had a lot of really interesting songs. This is Asian Pop Nation right here on Sin. You guys just heard a couple of great tracks, all of which are from queer Asian artists, starting off with Kamali by Priya Raghu from the album Damn, She's Tamil. And before that, you guys heard Kismet by Marina, which is from Asha's Awakening, one of the best R&B albums of last year. And even more before that, you guys heard Girls by Better Born. Now we're going to continue on with this trend of appreciating and commemorating queer people. Um, and so we have Pride, the Pride segment part two. Okay, now jumping away from music, we've got film, we've got some anime, we've got some drama, video games, and boom, just all coming in together, crashing down. On the film department, I have like so, so many films that I want to watch which depict queer Asian couples as like the main thing. And I'm gonna put them right here. And maybe this might give you guys some recommendations as well if you wanna enjoy some queer Asian films during the month of June and beyond. <laughs> yes, you. because queer people don't just crawl into a hole at the end of June. They continue to exist all year round. Exactly. Exactly. So what? take notes. <laughs> yeah, JP, is, is that a shock for you? <gasps> yeah. I We're thought this things, just like float into the air and like they come back in June. Just to get rid of this guy. <laughs> okay. So one is Saving Face. 
The other one is handmade, the handmaiden. I know a lot of people have talked about that several times. We also have the half of it, which fun fact, when we were talking about Elemental, the main girl that voice acts as Amber in Elemental, she plays the main character in the half of it. And then other more South Asian films that I really want to watch so bad. One of them in particular is going to be near impossible for me to find because it's a really old film and that one is Fire. But then we also have a more recent one, which is called Bahai Du. And then another one, which I think Tracy knows a bit about because I think it's a Wong Kar Wai film, is Happy Together. And these are my personal lists of um, queer Asian films that I have heard are amazing, but at B, I also need to watch. I guess now this is where I pass off to the anime nerds out here with their queer anime rep. One which I am very, very excited to hear, and we're passing it to the man himself, JP. There's, there's only one... There's only one of which I know a lot about, and it is the greatest one ever. I have not even watched the other ones, so I'm just going to say it is. It is called Revolutionary Girl Utena. Man, this anime explored gender, gender identity, and all those roles. It did it way before it was even cool. Like, it was, it was, it's, it's so good. Oh my god, how can this even exist? Like, I, I don't, I feel like I don't even deserve to explain how it works because it's so nuanced. Like, I, I'm just gonna ruin it somehow. But please, yeah, watch Revolutionary Girl Lieutenant. Very, very cool. Wait, how, how long has it been since it came out? It aired in 1997. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, and so like, you know, like gay representation, it wasn't much of a discussion in the anime sphere around that time, at least. I wasn't alive back then. I don't know for sure. I'm just spitballing. Um, but yes, no, it's really good. It's really, really good. It explores sexuality, gender, and of course, most importantly, growing up. As in like coming of age, because this is about high schoolers trying to figure out who they are. I can at least give you an overview of the character, the main character, Utena. She's basically, she's a girl. But when she was little, this prince helped her out. And she was so inspired by this prince that instead of going out to be a princess, she's like, I'm going to be a prince instead. So she goes to school wearing boys' uniform, which you're not allowed to do, does not care. She excels in basketball, beats up all the boys, and it's just super cool. Even the girls love her. And so there's this sort of um, exploration of male and female gender roles. And there's the comparison between the prince and the princess sort of roles. And you have Utena. She's playing around with those things. Even though she's a girl, she takes on a princely sort of role. But then even then, it gets more complicated. It does not empower her. Even if it makes her a girl boss, it just traps her even more. She just plays into the system. Like, things just get so messed up. Like, especially in the end. Like, I don't even understand what happened. I have to watch it three more times. But it's so good. Wow. Oh, my gosh. No, I mean... I mean, that is convinced. I mean, it's always been also on my massive, massive watch list because, like, I've seen the character designs. Isn't the main oh. character the girl with the pink hair? Yeah, with pink, long, flown hair with a sword. Yes. The fan art I've seen is mainly of her with this other girl who has purple hair. Yes, yes, the purple hair. Her name is Anthe. It's she's okay. There is a weird system in the school among the higher echelons of the student council. They basically duel with each other in order to have possession of that princess, the purple-haired girl. Her name oh. is Anne. And so, like, they have literal proper duels. And Utena, she gets dragged into the system. She's like, you know what? Stop these other guys. I'm going to, like, protect her because um, they're all just using her. And, like, you know, it's like, it gets caught bro it's so good it's about like friendship and like romance it's like what even is friendship and romance and like 
like Utena, her protecting her, is that even a good thing? Like, is she even actually helping her? Or is she just like, you know, trying to be a prince and, you know, be cool? We don't know, dude. It's so good. Watch it. Alicia, don't watch I'll, I'll... Stay on this run sheet. Don't even... <laughs> Legend of Korra? Man, Mako exists. I don't even know who he is. <laughs> Which is technically not an anime, yeah. but we're still gonna chuck her in there. Because it's an animation. <laughs> Um, yeah, Korosami. Um, Korra, the main character, she's bi, and so is Asami, and they both dated the same guy. Oh, it's <laughs> who is so Marco, who you were talking about before. Yeah, Marco, <laughs> I don't even know who he is. Oh my gosh, I would say though, Legend of Korra, in the show itself, they don't go really mm. in-depth of like the relationship. It's a lot of like implied, implied, and then boom, the last episode comes and you're like, oh my god. But... I would say in the comics after Legend of Korra comes out, like came out, sorry, that's when like it went from implied to like, boom, these girls are gay. <laughs> I love them. I guess, oh my gosh, what is it? Oh, video games, LOL. All right, there was just two that I wanted to quickly mention as like video games, one which I've played fully and the other one which I haven't. I don't know, if you're looking to play some games, that have a bunch of gay Asian girls who play baseball and they're falling in love with each other and whatnot, then you definitely want to check out Butterfly Soup. It's a visual novel, yes. It's just a visual novel that I think it's free. And I just think the art style, so cute. I think the game creators specifically mentioned that they wanted to create this as kind of like, I guess what they would have liked to see when they were younger as well. So cute very sweet and then the other one i just wanted to mention because i think it ties well with one of the artists that we talked about in the catalog is life is strange true colors i played through this entire thing uh, once upon a time and basically it's like uh i don't want to say if it's like a sequel or a reboot or something to the life is strange franchise as a whole Specifically following this main character, who her name is Alex Chen, but a major core of the story is you picking like a romance and stuff. And depending on where you go, you can romance with a female character. And it's just very cute. It's very wholesome. I love, I, I love it. It was such a fun time for me to play. And fun fact, not the voice actor, but the singing voice actor for Alex Chen is MX of Tunes voice. Yeah, yeah, I, I see the shock faces right now. Like I had the time of my life playing this game. It is very dark and emotional at times as well. So viewer discretion is advised. And then finally, finally, I guess to close it off, because again, as we mentioned, um, don't just support queer Asian media or just queer content in general during Pride Month. Look into supporting queer voices throughout entire lives and still consider a minority group and especially much further in the minority pool when you are a person of color and you're part of the queer community as well. But I just wanted to shout out a future project which is occurring right now in this moment and you can definitely check it out on your own time as well. It is called The Lovers. It is basically an animated um, thriller and I'll read it out directly in the description about the romantic tension between a seafood chef and a siren. And it's set in a dark fantasy Philippines, specifically. Yeah, JP Mabuhai. <laughs> but Welcome to Philippine Airlines. <laughs> anyway, continue. 
But uh, I'm very excited for this animated film. It's done by Studio Heartbreak. They're like an independent animation like studio. Um, very like small team as well. And this is like their first short that they're ever doing. And it's uh, LGBTQ plus focus romance horror set in the Philippines. It is nuts. I think um, when the film comes up, they're going to put it on YouTube specifically. And then it's basically currently being like campaigned and stuff like that. And they have massive backers for it. It's gone viral all online and everything. I cannot wait. So please, if you're searching, just search up the lovers. Um, obviously, viewer discretion because it is an th animated thriller slash horror. So there are, you know, some gory content. So just viewer discretion is advised. But oh my god, I am like so excited for this. It looks so good. Just search it up, guys. Like again, unless you're not a big horror person, then please don't. But if you if you can handle some animated gorish stuff, it's just oh my god, please, please just support it. And yeah, I guess that's kind of that was kind of the spiel for our APN Pride Month moment. And obviously, I think like Tracy mentioned way back in the beginning, we tend to constantly play a lot of queer artists just naturally throughout our whole show. Just, I guess, once again, reiterating the message of queer people exist every day of the year 365 and don't just be like, just forget about everything past this. Hopefully our Rex, our list of various artists, talents, media will, I don't know, kickstart a whole wonderful journey for you guys. So once again, happy Pride Month to all of our dear listeners. And if you have any of your own recommendations of amazing queer content that you want to share uh, to us, definitely do on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Asian Pop Nation. And we'll love to check it out. I have a long watch list, but I will. I will make it through every single recommendation. Trust me. And yeah, happy Pride, everyone. Ah! Happy Pride Month. This is Asian Pop Nation on Sin, where you guys just heard all about some of the amazing queer people in the public eye that are also Asians. Um... As Leisha said earlier on in the segment, um, being Asian and being queer is something that's not, that wasn't really widely accepted, especially in the Asian community until quite recently. But um, yeah, I'm glad that people are getting out there, accepting themselves, and we we support that. Yo, 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 this is Asian Pop Nation on Sin, and you are, of course, with your favorite EP, Jesse. Yeah, okay, I'm kidding. I, I don't claim to be anyone's favourite, but um, yes, this is your EP, Jesse, and I am back to announce that it has unfortunately come to the end of our show. Uh, but obviously, before I came along, you guys heard a few more tracks, starting off with Promise by Lofi, and yeah, and before that, you guys heard Juliet by Alexa, which is a new single from her, and even more before that, you guys heard David by Noso. And yeah, it's the end of our show, guys. Um, you guys heard a lot about the new Studio Ghibli film coming out, which is the most mysterious film I have ever heard about. And I also didn't know about it until some of our other APN members mentioned it. So yeah, the lack of promotional materials is kind of working. But um, you guys also heard about the recent Oz Comic Con, which if you guys did not hear... It is quite a big event, especially in Melbourne and in, and obviously Australia worldwide, and yeah, a lot of a lot of pop culture enthusiasts, cosplayers, artists, 
exhibitors, um, famous voice actors, authors, art. There's a lot of guests and a lot of amazing people attending. So if you guys are interested, definitely go check out Oz Comic Con next year. And yeah. And we also reviewed Elementals. By, and by we, I'm not including myself. I am talking about Leisha and Lee. They gave us well a few review of Elementals. And if you guys are interested in checking it out, definitely go do so while it is, is in cinemas. And lastly, we finished off with a Pride Month segment because us here at Asian Pop Nation are always very much supportive of our besties in the queer and um, LGBTQIA plus community. And we just basically ran down a long list of people that were Asian and queer and were part of the music, the film, or any other industries that we are interested in or know of. Um, but yeah, it has unfortunately come to the end of our show. 